Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, DJs and DJs of the future. This episode of the podcast is supported by Show Me The Sample, a YouTube series from myself and Dan Nightingale, who is a legend on the UK stand-up comedy circuit and star of the Have A Word podcast. We've taken a reverent look at some of your favourite tracks and where they came from. This is not a nerdy look at production techniques. We're just letting it all hang out and chatting our way through some internet wormholes looking for the original track or tracks that were sampled. You'll find a link in the show notes of this episode. Go check it out. You can find more episodes of this podcast, including chats with James Hype, Ben Hemsley, Night Funk, Nathan C, Gop, and many, so many more. You can find them on iTunes and Spotify, and now, including this very episode. You can find it on YouTube for that full video experience. Simply search Felix Leiter in the house or visit youtube.com forward slash DJ Felix Leiter. Subscribe and hit that notification bell because I have got some belting episodes coming up. In this episode, I speak to Siege about his early love of DJing, how he got into music production and a job delivering furniture. His story is a real roadmap to success in the industry. We also chat about his massive track, Crunk. We discuss Spotify numbers and a return to the club scene we all miss so much. I really enjoyed this episode. I think you will too. So let's get into it. Felix Leiter's In The House, the podcast about DJs, what they do and who they are. Siege, welcome to the show. How are you, sir? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Uh, I'm great, man. It's really, really cool to talk to you. I've been a big admirer of your music for a long time, so it's great to find out more about you. Um, where are you this morning? Where are you in the world? I'm in Belgium in a little town called Hasselt. So how close is that? Of. Well, here's, here's, let me, let's test my non-existent geographical knowledge of Belgium. How close is that to, to Dennis, to Nightfunk? He's from Mall, right? I think so. I spoke to him about four weeks ago, maybe, and we had a great chat. And he was, he again said the same thing. I'm from this tiny place in Belgium. You won't have heard of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's probably like... Almost everything is like an hour away from me. Depending on traffic, <laughs> it's like an hour. That's cool. Um, well, that's good. I'm glad. I'm glad that we're spreading our geographical wings. And that's one thing we were just talking before we recorded about setups and recording and lights. And it's one thing that has opened. It's one positive thing of of the COVID thing is that because before this, I was doing all the podcasts in person, and it was when I was on either on tour or I was at someone's house or there at my house. One thing it has opened up, which is a great thing, is that. I probably would have almost never done a podcast with you because I probably would never have come to your house. Or I might, you know, if luckily enough, I might have booked you or you might have been playing at the club. But one great thing about it is now it's so easy to reach out to people um, and to be able to do this. And like I said to you, you look great. Your feed's strong. You sound good. So we're going to we're going to have a great chat, man. I want to I want to hit you off with some 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 kind of COVID related questions, but not in a way that you might think. I want to ask you when all this is over. Um, and we're back to proper nightclubs with full of people and all that stuff that we really love. What's the first record you're going to play when you get back? Let's just say that party was sort of this weekend. Let's just say it was all done and finished 
and the clubs are open. It's safe. You don't have to worry about any of that. None of the politics of, of, of the virus. Just you get this surprise call. Grab your, grab your stuff. You go into play a club. It's 1 a.m. You get on the decks. What's the first record right now in the moment that you're going to put on? What's the first record that you want to hear in a club? You want the throng of people to feel it. What's that first record? Can be one of yours, can be an old one, can be a new one, can be something you've just heard, can be from back in the day. What's the first record you play back, man? You know what? It would probably be something of myself and it would be maybe the Mark Knight collab because I just miss hearing stuff in the clubs because we're working on stuff in the studio and it sounds good over here, but you really want to see the reaction of the crowd and hear how it sounds in a club and that's something that I mean, I, all the rest, it's, it's all, it's all um, not so nice to put it in a polite way, but like play, being able to play in your music in a club and then translating that back to the studio, that's something that I really miss. So it will be probably the, the Mark Knight collab because we need to get that finished. Have, uh, you, got, have you got a name for that yet? Uh, yeah, it's, it's called Give It Up. It's, it, nice. it's a funny one. It's actually been released for no it wasn't pre-order on beatport i think okay. it was supposed to come out earlier as part of the bullet series that mark was doing um but then the club clubs closed down and mark was like well this is like three club tracks yeah we need the clubs to for this to work um yeah. so they they pulled it now it's coming out in january on the like the this is two room compilation i think we're doing now but he was like it needs more work and there's just something missing and i hear the same but if you could play it on a big cup system then you probably would be like oh yeah that's missing let's just fix it and then it's, it's an easy an easy one yeah i miss that man there must be so i mean i'm i'm the same i have like at least two or three records that have been sat on for months that i'm just like there's no i can't possibly put this out because the only way this works is if it's in a club or if it's on a terrace or if there's people there like this is the only way that this record otherwise it's just going to come out disappear and never be remembered or played ever again um but there must be so much music there must be so many producers and djs (laughs) sitting on so much music (laughs) um now you may have already answered this because you've mentioned one name but hopefully not again it's all over you get the email, and in my imaginary world, and I'm allowed to do this because it's my podcast, you're going to have a dream back-to-back. So the first gig back, they, it's going to have to be a back-to-back because I'm telling you it is because it's my podcast. <laughs> but who is the dream back-to-back? So this weekend, everything's fine. The clubs are open. No worry about COVID. Everything's cool, but you're doing a back-to-back to, to get back into the swing of things. Who would you be like, oh, it's got to be? Who's your back-to-back with? I'm going to go with two options. Like, okay. I thought of this the other day. Like, Dennis Ferrer is one of my, like, production-wise, yeah. almost everything he puts out, I'm like, this is so great. But then again, he's not something that's on top of your mind, like, all the time. You can forget about him sometimes because he's yeah. not, like, in your face all the time. But I do really like everything he does so th- i think that would be a cool one it would be slightly more house uh, on a house tip of course yeah and the other one would be a bit uh, more obvious but would be carl cox i think because wow. he's been doing some like 
supporting on the music and I, I that's amazing to be honest and he's just such a legend and I mean being able to do in a back-to-back with him and it would be a bit more like my other side a bit harder a bit more techno that would be amazing I think nice I'll take that um okay so the last question is sort of a flip not the last question but the last of these little little ones that I'm thinking of is sort of a flip of the first question so you've gone and done your first gig back you've played well you're going to do your first gig back you drop this new one with Mark Knight as your first record the crowd goes crazy you have an amazing set it's in one of your favorite clubs to play or whatever we'll come on to that later but what's the last record you play on that first gig back you know you're closing the club everyone's had an amazing time the vibe is just unreal because everyone's missed it for so long what's the last record that you play of that first gig back there's no last record we're gonna keep on going man (laughs) (laughs) cool i'll take that i think that's a great answer um let's go let's go back then way before first records and last records and collabs let's go right back way before touring the world way before putting records on beatport way before all of that stuff i want to take you right back to being um a child and i want you to think back to those really early musical memories like what do you remember who was playing music was it in the house was it in the car was it parents what were those first, even before you're choosing what to listen to, what are the things that are just in your ears that are being played around the house in the car? What what can you remember of those those first bits of music? It's like, I'm not going to say it's embarrassing, but it's like, it's not so cool. Sometimes I hear people like, yeah, my parents were into disco and they were playing. And yeah, like my parents were more into like classical music. And I remember like, uh, Andrea Bocelli, something that was played in the house and that I was like listening to, and I actually quite liked it. And even, yeah, more stuff like that, which is kind of weird if I think about it now, but that's like the earliest memories of, of music. And then I, we're, we're a bit of a musical family, like my, my granddad used to play the piano, my uh, uncle plays piano as well. So I've been around that growing up as well. And then I went to musical school and then I went to go and play the pianos as well. But by by that time I was introduced uh, via my my older nephews to like the more Euro dance stuff. Like we had two Fabiola, two Unlimited, stuff like that. Um, And that was more like that's when the electronic music came in, into the picture. And I was like, mm, that's, that's interesting. Um, but then I was playing the piano and it, it didn't sound like that kind of music. So I was like, fuck this. I'm going to stop with the piano. I want to do the synthesizer stuff. But I, like, you hear it's different, but as a child, you don't, you don't understand, like, okay, this is a piano gives you that sound you get a synthesizer it gives you another sound and but but like it's basically the same so now i'm i'm like i wish i'd finished my my school so i could like play the piano but yeah where did you where did you grow up then did you grow up in where where, what country whereabouts did you grow up yeah all right okay so you grew up there so so it's interesting because i always the the more that i I know this and i know this isn't scandinavia but when you started saying about that um 
there was there's that history of like and I know it's not Belgian but there's that history of like the Scandinavian countries like Sweden or not they they seem to do so much more musically certainly than than the UK like used to talk to like you know those the kind of this the, all this when I used to take, speak to all the Swedes about the stuff they were doing like oh yeah we were, like every night after school we were just making music when we were like twelve and you're like what that wasn't what we were doing after school when we were twelve but was that was that what it was like in Belgium like were you were you an out an outlier because you went to music college or was that a thing that a lot of people were doing well I'm not sure I mean I because you asked now I'm thinking about it, and like my brothers they didn't go to musical school so I'm not sure why. Probably I was pulled towards it, and my parents were like, "Yeah, you can do musical school." I think that's that's, but not everyone in Belgium is doing musical school. That's okay. definitely not not the case. Can you remember the first bit of music that was like yours that like you held, whether it was bought for you or you bought with kind of pocket money or whatever? But can you remember that first bit of music, whether it was a CD or a bit of vinyl or a tape or even like, can you remember that first bit of physical music that you were like, this is mine and I can play it as many times as I want and it's mine and I'll keep it in my room? I think there's two that I remember and one is like uh, Marshall Matters. I like it loud. Yeah. And that's where it like when I say it's a bit weird, maybe when I was like, 10, 11, 12, I was listening to Thunderdome and like the really hard, hardcore basically. And like yeah. that was like one of the, the Marshall Matters one. I remember one of my nephews had it, I think. And I was like, and it has like, had like a distinct single as well. And I was like, I need to have that. And then back then you could buy singles in the supermarket. So yeah. I was like, Mom, I, wa- I want that, and then you could listen to them as well. So when they were doing groceries, I was in the in the supermarket, like listening to the CDs. Yeah. So that's one that I remember. It's probably my my earliest one, and then another one is uh, Eiffel sixty five. I'm blue. What a record. Yeah. <laughs> but it's yeah, I mean, track. yeah. It is, it is what it is. And back then it was the, the, the music, the electronic music that came on the radio. And that's what, what's like got my interest. And can you remember, and again, it sometimes seems like a silly question to ask now because of the world we live in. But can you remember the first time that you were really aware that somebody was a DJ? Like that was their kind of job. Their job was to choose and mix records and play them for other people's enjoyment. Like, do you remember the first time that 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 became apparent to you like was it radio did you see someone at a, 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 like a concert or an under, underage thing did you have a friend or when was the first time that you like really became aware of who a dj was and what they did well i it was like um friends or or, or people that we knew and then there were, i think there are two people that where we went to and they had like a mixer sitting there and they were like yeah it's to to mix music and that's like that appealed to me so i wanted to do that as well but they were not like professional djs they were just like teenagers like myself but they had like the equipment so i was like and that's what i want and my granddad he was working for philips and they uh, he helped develop the like the cassette how do you say it in, in yeah, English? Yeah, cassette tape, yeah. A tape, yeah. So, um, so he had like loads of equipment, I think test equipment or old equipment. So he hooked me up with an amplifier and a tape deck 
and then from someone from for Christmas we got like uh, a um, a portable CD player and I was like okay I got like two sources now I need a mixer so I went and with my dad to the store we bought like the the cheapest cheapy system mixer so you only had the faders and I was like yes now I can mix and I put something on there and I put something <laughs> like my tapes were like recorded from the radio so when yeah. it was like the hit list I would record the songs that I like from the radio and then I had like a CD and then I opened up the faders and it sounded like shit and I was like how is this possible I mean I got all the equipment why is it not when I move the faders why is it isn't it sounding nice so that was a bit of a, a disappointment so to say and then uh, we had computers back then and we were quite early because my dad, he worked from, he was like self-employed. So we had, and my uncle, he was into like the IT stuff. So we was like, yeah, hey, you need to get internet. And we had internet and we had a computer. So I found, I think it was virtual DJ or something like that. I got oh, cool. a, a piece of, of software and I was like, oh, you can speed it up and you need to like match the BPMs. And I was learning and so when I figured that out and I've had some some play on the on the computer, then I was like, okay, I need like that de final decks and I uh saved some money and I went uh I got I think GB system decks. Uh so that's when I figured it all out how it how it worked. And I think I was fourteen when I bought my, my decks. Wow. I think it's 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 so interesting because even just you explaining that now. The, it was so much more difficult. It was so hard to try to become a DJ back then. Do you know what I mean? Like I remember a similar kind of story and wanting decks and getting poor ones. And whereas it, it is the, the internet and technology that like you've just mentioned has really stripped back the gateways or the gates that were holding people back when we were young like now it's so much easier to become a dj getting a controller having a computer getting music is so much easier producing music is so much easier with ableton and you know it, it was you know 15 20 years ago it was so much more difficult and so much more expensive to get into this as a, as a mm. hobby did, did you it's a question that i like to ask you know a lot of people on this podcast is like did you want to be a DJ, like, was your first thought, I want to be a DJ, like, I want the equipment you, you just explained, or was your first thought, I want to be a producer, I want to make and write music, or were they kind of concurrent? No, definitely DJ first, because, like, even when you said, like, when did you knew you wanted to be a DJ, did you see someone, and like you say, now you can go on on YouTube and you can see streams from a club, but I think i never seen a DJ because I, was, I wasn't even old enough to get into clubs when I was going to clubs playing there. So it was like, that was like the first time I went inside a club and I couldn't even like see a DJ. Um, but definitely... How did you learn? Like, you know, pre-YouTube, pre-everything else. How did you learn to, to mix music on these decks that you got when you were like 14? How did you learn? Well, I got like the principles of the the software, so a virtual DJ, and I was like, okay. you, you had like your auto match or something, so it would match the BPMs. But I could figure out like how it worked, like you speed them up so they're like in the same rhythm. So I I could understand how it would like work. And then when I I bought the the 
setup, I got some free vinyls uh, from the guy who sold them and were like shit records. But I went into my room and I installed everything and I didn't leave the room until I had my first like beat match more or less. And I could get them straight and I was like, yeah, okay, it works, it's fine. And then I think I went to bed and uh, the next day I was back to it. But um, I definitely want to be a DJ first. And I started off playing the local um, the, the youth house. Youth club, youth club. Yeah, youth yeah, club. Yeah. Um, and and what I were was, you playing back then? Were you playing that harder stuff? Were you playing kind of the harder, the harder no, the dance music? No, no, by then it was like um, the, we called it Groove. It was like basically uh, house records with like disco samples in it. So okay. All the. the do, you, do, you, do you mean like Junior Jack, that kind of stuff, like stupid disco and stuff like that, or stuff like that? And um, yeah, but even like uh, some 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 bit more cheesy sometimes. Like when I was going through my collection the other day, I was like, oh, this. I still like it, but some kind of cheesy stuff in there as well but like junior jack stuff as well um so would you stopped like had that. you stopped you said you sort of mentioned this that you know you'd you sort of stopped you'd stop playing the piano at this point so although so you've, you're totally focused now on learning dj technicality like technique you know you're learning you, have you stopped at this point when you're 15 16 are you not you're not making music now you're not playing the piano you're not trying no, to produce anything no, you are focused no. on on being a dj Cool. And so how did those first, so, so you're playing in a, in a youth club. Do you remember getting your first sort of gigs in a, in a bar or a club? Like how did that come about? Can you remember when those first gigs were? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because um, we were starting at the youth house, youth club. And by then, also via the internet, I, I was like downloading some sets from like the clubs and like the there were a few clubs that were playing the music that i was drawn to and then one of these clubs they were doing like a dj competition and i think even before that my i had like following on from the youth club uh, the the yearly party from the uh, the Scouts, how do you say it? Um, the, the local party that were, was held every year because the, the people saw me in the youth house. They were like, okay, you can come play our parties. That, that came first, I think. And then I was like, okay, I want to play in, 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 a, in a proper club now. And then they were uh, hosting a DJ contest. So I sent in a tape um, and they were like, yeah, it's cool. You can come and play. But I was reading on the internet and they were saying like, people that wanted that could go and play as well I was like yeah it's nice but it wasn't Fridays um there's not many people there because it's the like the new thing and basically what happened was it was like a really cool club uh, they were doing really well and then the police station they moved around and they came sit right next to the club so that wasn't quite at that point, I didn't understand it, but now I'm like, yeah, of course. <laughs> That's why it didn't went as well as, as, it, as it was. So they were like, okay, we need to do something. And they were get, getting in fresh talent. Um, 
And I read like, okay, there's not many people there. And it was always two new talents that, that could go play there. And the other one was selected. He was actually from Diepenbeek. So I didn't know him personally, but I knew he was like sitting relatively close to where I'm from. And I hit him up and I was like, we both going to play there, but there's not many people there. And I was like, I have the idea, like, let's rent uh, a big bus and we gather all of our friends together. And <coughs> that's how we do it. So that's what we've done. Made your own party. Yeah, we had like the, the <laughs> bus. But there were there were problems with the bus as well, I think, because I, I couldn't drive. So I, w I needed to be on the bus to get to the club. And then the bus was too late and I needed to get there on time. And it was my first, and I was nervous as hell. And I was like, ah, so someone was like, I'll drive you. No worries. Uh, so we went in the car, we drove to the club and I, I was like organizing, organizing the bus thing as well. So I was like, is everything going to work out? Anyways, I got in the club, I started playing and like I read online, there was no people there. I started to play a few records and all of a sudden like the bus arrived and the people started to come in and it was like, I don't know, 50, 50 people, but it was like a really small, it was basically like a living room club. So with 50 people, it was like, all right. And the, the guy at the bar was like, what's happening? And he needed to call up some, some people to come and work because he, he thought like there will be no, no one there. And obviously, because it's all friends, they were all like, yeah, ooh, and it was like, we had a really great night. And all of a sudden, they were like, oh, yeah, you can come play again. And then other clubs came as well. But what I didn't know at that time, it was like, they only ask you because you bring your bus of friends. And when that started, like, they're not going to come every time. Um, so we stopped doing that as well. And then they were like, where are your friends? And I'm like, I was like, again, like disappointed, like, oh, okay, so that's the, the, don't, it's not because of the music I play, it's just because we, we bring people and that's making them money, of course. I think, I think you make two, I've just started to laugh there. You make two really good points, which is, yeah, A, and it's a great metaphor for, I think, a lot of people in the music industry, like our music industry, which is create your own party. You know, my next question is going to be, did you start to run your own night? But I just want to make another point. Like, so many of us had to have, have, have had to do that to, to kickstart our careers, which is start our own party, you know, book other DJs, fill it with people we know. Um, you know, it's, it's such it's, it's definitely something I did as a kid and something that, you know, I'm still doing now. But I love it, even that little bit at the end when you were like, then I realised that it wasn't really about the music. It was just about people coming and the money. And I think that probably still is absolutely true for where we're at now in the music industry. Some DJs are just booked because they know they're going to sell out the clubs. Do you know what I mean? And that's, you know, they'd yeah, like to... but I mean, now we understand. But back then I was, I was, I think I was 16 or 17. So you're still yeah. kind of young. And even th thinking back at it, I'm like, I was more... Um, hands-on back then than now because I'm not doing that anymore and back then it was just let's do it and but you 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 don't see the whole picture you're just I was just driven by I want to play my music in a club and I'm gonna do everything to to get there and I just thought like yeah it's nice as well let's just bring all our friends and let's let's have a good time
Did you start to run your own night then? Like, did that was that a logical progression to you? Like, when you realised that, did you start a night and like brand it and and and, and is that not is that something you did? No. So okay. basically, what what I did, my reaction was like, okay, so if they don't ask me for my music and they they just ask me for for the friends I'm bringing, I'm gonna make my own music and I'm gonna make sure that they will ask me for my music because it's my music and I'm not just playing. So that's when I got into the production side of things. And okay, so this is a great segue. It's like you've already known what I'm going to ask you. Um so what what's your thought process then? You're still really young like you said, you're sort of 16. Um can you if you think back, can you remember what like what did you what bit of software did did you think I need to learn music theory first? Did you go out and get Cubase or something? Did you what were those first steps in your in your plan to produce music? I I, I had some plays with I don't know what it was called, but you get it like with the cornflakes, like discs with like really simple music making software, <laughs> basically just samples and all in the same key and you could just press play on different stuff and build your own song like that. And then I think I got uh, Fruity Loops, of course, because it's, I mean, it's nice and easy. You can just click and press play and something's coming out. So I did work with that for a while. What were you making? What what were you, when, like, what sort of stuff were you, were you trying to make? What sort of stuff were you... Were you making back then? Was it that same sort of disco infused groove stuff, or was it what were you what were you making? No, a bit of everything. I, okay. I, I, like electronic music, but just whatever. I wasn't like really thinking. I think it was learning. It was more of a learning phase rather than okay, this is what I want to make. I was just like playing with it, experimenting with it, and sometimes I would do like something a bit harder, like stuff I was listening to, <clears throat> listening to. like jump music was kind of hot back then as well, and sometimes it would be more like a housier, groovier, trying to create a groove, because I didn't know about sampling back then, it was just all like play, playing around with it a little bit. Did DJing take a slight back seat then like did this did things sort of switch like all right okay now i'm going to learn how to make music or were you still djing on the side did you get little residencies were you playing you know or was it like right okay no one's if, if i don't bring a crowd they don't book me make music was it over were, were things running concurrently were you still djing while you were while you were learning i was probably still djing at home still djing in the in the youth uh, youth house because, I mean, that was like two streets away and they still really liked my music and that was something that I could I could play my record. But it was more like I went there, grab a pint with my friends and you would jump on the decks if you wanted to. Yeah. Or if the people were like, come on, go, go play some records. And I was like, okay, okay, it's fine. It was more that kind of vibe. Sounds great. I wish I could do it tonight. <laughs> it, sounds, yeah. it sounds really fun. It was like, it was really nice. Um, but like, I was playing a few bits here and there, but not like massively. Actually, when you popped the question, like, are you were you running your own nights? Thinking back of it, I was like, maybe I'd better start running my own own nights instead of producing music. But anyway, so I definitely I was still like doing both, like playing sometimes, definitely at home because I really enjoyed DJing as well. Yeah, but I was like trying to. 
understand everything about producing producing music so what's in i i i sort of i think your first record as, as siege was on beatport around around 2010 so around 10 years ago or something what happened in this in this gap between you being at the youth house and starting to use fruity loops what happened between that point and the point of the first siege record coming onto beatport now there might be a lot and you don't need to go into all of it but what happened in that journey in between the young the young the young kid with fruity loops in the youth house and siege dropping his first record on beatport so i moved on from fruity loops to ableton back then um just because it's a bit more professional and especially i think by now it's fl studio and i'm not like saying it's bad or anything but back then it was like fruity loops and it was more of a toy kind of thing and you couldn't you couldn't use vsts i think so that's why i moved on to ableton to to make everything a bit more professional and when i was 18 i went to go study in uh, leuven as well and in Louvre, I met people that I knew, like when you were asking about where I seen people DJing, like one of the guys was like the son of friends of my mom and dad. So he had like a setup at home, but then his parents divorced, my parents divorced, so we didn't really see him anymore. And then in Louvre, Everyone was going to Leuven to study that I met him again and I was like, oh, it's been a long time. And one of the the guys there, because um, my friends from where I was going to school, they didn't go to Leuven. So I was like more or less going into the big student city and I was like, what am I going to do? I don't know many people there. And then uh, I met via old friends as well i met some people and they had like one this one guy he had like this place where he lived he had like a bar in there and like every tuesday night i think everyone was just going there and he had some decks as well was playing music so at that place i ran back into uh xavier and he was like hey are you have you been still still making music and we we had a chat and he was doing an act with uh, Sam Sam Thomason. They were called You and Me. And so I started sending some, them some music and they they ran a label back then, uh, their own label. And they were gonna do a cover of uh, Ruida Silva, Touch Me. And they were like, we need we, we need a remix. We want we want a remix. Uh, do you want to do a remix? And I was like, yeah, sure. Well, why not? And I was hanging out on Laidback Luke's forum back then because that yeah. was like a place where all the young producers. I mean, I think that even Avicii, Avicii was yeah, hanging huge. Out there. Yeah. Oh, I, I mean, I posted my I posted my tracks and got feedback from Luke. <laughs> yeah. So and I now I was chatting a bit with Luke as well. Um, and such he, a he nice was, guy. It, it, to be honest, it was especially back then. It was like amazing thinking back. Like he was just sending, listening to your stuff and sending you Re- and really feedback. detailed feedback, man. Like I mean, really, cause, really, cause, really good. Because I'm guilty now of getting stuff from people and just being like, "Yeah, sounds sick." Like, <laughs> uh, but like, who could write you like? 
a good paragraph or two talking about frequencies and talking about reverb tails and talking, you know, it wasn't just like, yeah, sounds good, lots of energy. He really went into like soundscaping and mixing and all kinds of really in-depth stuff. So, yeah, um, I did, I did the remakes. Um, they liked it. I think they put it out. I don't think it was on vinyl. And I sent it to Luke and Luke was like, really good idea, but it's, it's not sounding right. And I was like, oh, fuck. And <laughs> it was, it was, it was sounding quite horrible, to be honest. So I went back in and done some tweaks on it. It was sounding much better. I sent it to Luke and he was like, yeah, it's spot on now. I'll play this. But I think it was too late to update the version on Beatport. So you had the shitty version on Beatport. Then you had Luke playing it. And I think he might have sent it to Steve Angelo as well. Because I've wow. seen a video of Steve Angelo. And back then, like, Axel, Steve Angelo, they were like, laid back Luke. I was like, oh, yeah. They were playing my records, and I think off of that, it did kind of well on Beatport. So I think it got to, I think it got to ten. It was like top wow. ten. And but this isn't got, under this isn't under Siege, right? This is under a different. No, no, it's under Siege. Really? You can, you can go on, on on Google and search for "You and Me Touch Me" Siege remix, and it should it should pop up. Oh, cool! But it got taken down from Beatport because ah, they right okay they didn't. Oh, I don't know. Maybe they just did it as a cover, but there was some somebody else doing a cover as well, and they pulled some strings and they, they had to take down anyway. But mm-hmm. like that was like my first release uh, bit of music that I, I released. Where did the name come from? Then I always I always love this. I always love asking this question and getting the answer. Where did the <clears throat> where did the Siege brand come from? Uh. My name is Sich, okay. so without the E. And when I was looking for, for a DJ name, I don't know, I just seen it somewhere. And I was like, yeah, okay, sounds sounds good. I didn't want to use my own name. And I was like, yeah, adding an E, yeah, Sich, yeah, okay, sounds fine. <laughs> I think it's great because it's that sort of like... Axwell, isn't it? And he, you know, he's called, he's just sort of added a well, and there's all those sort of great names that have just sort of added a letter or taken a letter away, or you know, sort of created a, a brand when it's because yeah, because yeah. yeah, but it's it's good, man. It's 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 really memorable. It's you know, I, I love it as a, a brand name because it's it's short but also really memorable. I think it's great. Yeah, you think so? Yeah, man. I really, I really like it. it's always it's one of those ones that's always the first time that I sort of saw one of your records or whatever. I was like. It's one of those ones that just strikes you. You're like, "Wow, that's a fucking cool name!" Like, and it definitely got into my my head really quickly. Um, so then, what came after that then? Because the first, because the first one on Beatport that I can see is a remix on Defected, which is a pretty phenomenal first release on Beatport. Mm-hmm. So, so, so what happened? Obviously, that track did well. Um, what happened? to get to that defected release or is that a big is that a big bit of time where where are we at this point now like at the at the point where you've done this remix for sem and and luke's giving you the feedback where are we time wise are we how far behind 2010 are we do you think uh, i think it, when's the um 
defective one is that the, the, cop, the defective one says 2010 yeah like that's I, I basically just gone it went onto your beatport page and i think the you and me thing was released in 2009 then okay probably and so that did quite well i how did that i done i've done a remix for laidback luke as well off of that and that came out on vinyl on stealth wow. i think nice that was that was roger sanchez's label right yeah which was quite big as well back then yeah, yeah. man that's awesome i got like uh uh kind of manager because obviously the, the first record did quite well and there was a guy who was uh helping the guys running the label and he was like yeah you, you need a manager and i don't know how the fact that one came about to be honest <laughs> i think he, i he might he might have arranged it i'm not i'm not too sure but it was like quite at that point it was like i put out my first remix it the top 10 and then i done the one on stealth and then I think even around that time, Atlantic came in asking for a remix. So like all these bits, I I didn't understand it, but like my manager at the time, he was like, dude, Atlantic is like one of the biggest labels in the US. And I mean, they were paying good money, especially back then. I had to work a month and they were just offering me to do a remix. And I was like, what? what's what's happening but i didn't i didn't really understand back then that it was like kind of special and even like doing the remix on the fact that looking back at it i'm like yeah it's kind of cool like for your first or the first few bits like doing it on all the big labels straight away yeah and you've got a you've got a remix there of uh of wes clark without you um, featuring Max C. So, I mean, that's some like some heavyweights right there as well. That was an early one on Beatport. Obviously, Wes has gone on to be like you know the mix master extraordinaire to the stars. Um, obviously, Max C was on that really famous Axwell record. So, yeah, I mean, like it's really it was really intriguing because it's not something you do very often is look at people's first releases. Like most of the time in this industry, you're all about the latest thing, aren't you? Your, your latest record, your latest record. So, what's what's quite interesting for me is what one of the little bits. Of research that I do is to just go on Beatport and click, you know, mm-hmm. click sort by release. And um, I mean, mine would be horrific. Please don't do it to mine. <laughs> but yours is like, I was like, wow. First thing on, obviously, you've told the story of the the other the release that got taken down. But I was like, first release on Beatport, remix undefected. I was, it's <laughs> pretty solid. Which is which is why, in my naivety, I didn't think that. Siege was your first brand, if that makes sense. I kind of thought wrongly that you'd been doing something under your own name or under a different name, and then you'd rebranded. Um, so that's yeah, that's oh. my, my, mighty impressive, sir. Mighty impressive. <laughs> I, I always hope like nobody's going back on B for that much. To see <laughs> but on the other hand, like you say, like the, the first release on the fact that that's that's quite nice, and I mean. I'm I'm still proud of that, and I think Sam Devine, she played it like in a set uh, a couple of months ago. She like got it back up, and I was like, yeah, still still pretty cool. That remix on on the fact that 
Yeah, I did. Uh, I think one of my first things on Beatport is um, like a, a sort of a. I'm surprised it's still on Beatport, to be honest, because it's it's the same as your first one. It's like a sort of an edit of uh, Hollow Notes, like I can't go for that, um, and it came out on CR2, and that's another one of those records which like really stood the test of time. Well, like there's a whole lot of shit in between that in on the on Beatport, yeah. and now, but <laughs> but like the middle stuff. Don't listen to the middle stuff. But that first bit, I was like, wow, that still sounds pretty fresh like and like you say people are still i think mark knight used to play it all the time um like and, and it so it was it was really cool so what did you what did you were you studying music like did you when you went to um did you say louvre am i pronouncing it correct were you studying music or were you stu- yeah no louvre? i was doing like engineering okay uh, did biochemistry wow did you and we were you doing a lot of partying there? Like we did a lot of DJing, like because you go to a big student place, like in the UK. Like I mean, I made a pretty decent living for about a decade just out of DJing student parties. Like, did you did you were you doing a lot of DJing while you were there? Were you doing a lot of partying, or were you a pretty studious um, stud? You know, were you, were you sticking to your work? Well, let me tell you, like you can go for a lot of things to live, but not for good music. Oh. It was all the same you know like radio music they were playing like in all the bars and because before that i was selecting my own music or playing in clubs where they played my kind of music and i was like really snobby about that as well like i don't listen to that shit <laughs> and when we got to live and it was like they were playing it everywhere so you didn't have like a techno club back then it was all like the commercial stuff and i was like ah. but i mean yeah i was going out a lot so you you get used to it and to be fair we were drinking so much that whatever was playing it didn't really matter <laughs> So I didn't I didn't play a lot there. There was like one place that was was a bit cooler, and I played there a few times. But even like when I was doing my best to play a commercial set, people were come up to me and like play something we know, and I was like, I'm pulling my pants down right here playing this, this kind of music. You come here and so I was like, you know what, fuck it, leave. Don't worry about it. I'll just so I I was gonna say I, I did go to the lessons, but I didn't go to the lessons very much. So I was basically partying and making music uh, around and how that did, time. How did that? Um, so finishing finishing studying, how did that crossover work? Did you go and get a job like in the field of which you were studying, or did it manifest that you could just go straight into? You said you were getting good money for remixes. You were starting to put records out. Did you go straight into a musical career from there? Um, so I finished the studies. I did finish it. I got um, I got my bachelor in engineering, and then I've done. I switched because like it was so far away. I was like, I want to do music anyway, and I was like doing biochemistry and. I wanted to be like a building engineer was the thing that resonated with me most, but you couldn't do that in Leuven. And so I, I was just going with like, you know, one of my friends is doing biochemistry so I can get his notes. Okay, let's go. <laughs> so, and then I was like, I'm not going to do this master because it's, it's a lot of work and I'm not gonna. So I went like, and like another mate was doing, I'm doing master management. It's, it's easy. And I was like, okay, I'm doing master management. 
But because we got we got some management, we got some economics that did like <coughs> interest me more. Because back then, when you go to school, you get like uh, your parents get like money from the government, like child support or what, whatever. So I had I started a company so I can put the money from the remix. I could put it in the in the company so I could still work as a student as well. It was like it's, it separates the money. Um, so I was like running my business back then as well, and that because of that, and I got some like accounting and stuff like that that it did interest me a bit more. So I went on, I finished that, um, and then like you say, the question is like, what what are you gonna do now? And for me, that moment was like, now I can finally do what I want. And I was I was getting some 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 money from remixes and stuff, and like it was going quite well. So I was like. I can try it, and I think around that time my mom bought a new house, and she was like, "If you want, I can do the the top floor. I can set up a, a second ba- uh, bathroom there." And so I was like, "Yeah, let's 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 do it." And I was gonna be a full time musician, and I was pumped about it. And I had my own place there, so it was. I was living at my mom's, but not really because I mean I had my I had everything for myself. My music studio was there. I had a small living room, a bath, and a, a bathroom. Um, and then, like the first year, I was like living living the life, you know, being in bed till till noon, <laughs> get up, make some beats. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm a, I'm a full time music artist now. that's what we all do that's what music artists do lie in bed all day make some beats eat ice cream back to bed that's what it is that's (laughs) i think that's what i've done for a year and then after a year like all my savings were gone because i obviously i wasn't making enough money to to support to, to to get cover all my expenses because i was used to like going to study and your parents giving you money. And on top of that, I was getting the remix money and I was doing some student jobs as well. So I was like, I, I could do whatever I want. Like I wasn't rich, but like at that age, everything was, was okay. And I was living with that mindset and then I was making enough money for my music. So my, my savings that I had, I just go and spend them. And then at some point I'm like, okay, savings are gone not making enough money and i was like what am i gonna do and around at that point i was like it was like the point where and i think i think it was like like the edm music was so i was going in on that route as well trying to make money and like go with the flow and i wasn't happy about my music all my money was gone i was still living at my mom so i was like (laughs) what am I going to do? And my mom was like, you know, I, I, I couldn't pay my bills anymore. She was like, you know, I'll, I'll help you with this for now, but you're going to, you're going to get a job. You're not like doing this anymore. So I went, uh, for trying to find a job and I found some, something, um, like, uh, they were selling beds and, and furniture. And I was, I was the one riding with the van going out, delivering stuff. And I've done this for a couple of years. And the good thing was like they wanted something who was self-employed as well. So 
I didn't have to go in all week. It was like one or two days a week. And if I had to go to ADE or I had to go somewhere, I was just like, next week, I'm not coming in. And it was fine. So it was all flexible. So I've done that for a good couple of years. And then in between that and my music, I was like making ends mean uh, also because I was still living at my mom's and I hadn't like, uh, I had, didn't have to pay loads of rent and stuff like that. So I've done that for a couple of years. <clears throat> <laughs> cool man and then so what so what is the what's the breakthrough moment then what's the point where where you are like this is this has changed now i don't need to do that anymore like was that was there a breakthrough moment was there a record that changed everything for you was there was there a no, deal still, that changed still everything the still delivering the beds no 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 <laughs> i was gonna say that was the most awful end to the story <laughs> I mean, I've, i'm sorry i'm gonna have to wrap this up because i've got a bed delivery um i'm gonna have to go <laughs> no no i uh, i but I, I think it's i've done it up until the year what so we're 2020 now 2018 i think and the reason why it stopped was because they they couldn't afford me anymore i think it was it was was like they being like uh sorry um they were gonna they were going through some changes uh for some reason they didn't have budget like and i was like asking more money because i was working there for so long and i was like i'm not earning enough and then he was like yeah i think we're gonna have to call it a day and so i was like at that point I just bought the house that I'm sitting in now. Okay. So I was like, with that and the music, I was it was all right money wise. Yeah. I bought the house, and then they were like, "Yeah, uh, you can't come work for us anymore." <laughs> and I'm sorry, you just bought the house. And I was like, <laughs> "Okay, nice." Uh. <clears throat> so at that time, I was like, "Yeah, I'm gonna need." need to find something else or my music career has to like take a, a big search and then again like all this stuff it just happens like i was on facebook and i was it was i think someone was posting a picture like i'm in the studio today and it was like a really nice studio and i was like no way this guy has a studio like that so I was like checking out the studio where we were sitting in, and on top of the website of the studio was like mixers want to click here, something like that. I was like, yeah, I need a new job, so I clicked on it, and then you had to fill out your information. A goal guy called me and was like, yeah, we're doing a, a, a big project and we need mixers. And I was like, yeah, okay. Turned out it was for Tomorrowland. They were launching a radio station, the One World Radio Station. So they they needed guys to, to mix the, the radio uh, shows. And I was like, yeah, I, I don't have a job anymore. I need some extra cash. But let's do it. So that's how I started working with them. Nice. And I've done that for, for a year, I think. So were you uh, kind of producing the radio shows, as it were? You were sort of mixing, like, unable to know something, you were mixing the tracks together and putting the indents in or whatever and making, like, producing the radio shows for the Tomorrowland yeah. radio so stations, is that they, right? They have a system where they uh, just give you a folder with music and they give you a track list. Yeah. 
you have to mix it like put it in uh, two times 30 30 minutes make a nice flow it has to make a nice flow and then they put the, the vocals on there and, and stuff like that and would you do that in ableton yeah all in ableton nice man i think that's i think that's, that's a pretty nice way of uh, pretty nice way of earning some money and keeping your foot in did, did that did that lead to did that lead to any opportunities at tomorrowland did that lead to any other opportunities for you as a dj and producer so uh, the, that's the thing. I went, I went from like delivering bads to to get some to like mixing shows, and I was like, okay, so I'm doing my music now. I'm mixing mixing radio shows for Tomorrowland. So I'm, I was like, okay, I'm making a living from music now. I'm all doing music stuff. So it was kind of nice for me, and I did quite a lot of mixes, and they were happy with it. So that came. Um, to do, I, I could do some more, more work for them, and I'm, I'm not sure I'm allowed to say, but I've done the like the mix compilations cool. for them the the last two years as well. They came about st- doing that stuff, so that's um, a not nice uh, opportunity to get into to with the guys um, and getting some more work from them, and then. <coughs> uh, were you touring more at this time? Like, were you touring as a DJ at this at this point, like 2018? Like, were you doing I a lot a lot more that gigs? Was like, that was last year we were talking about, and at that time I was doing the the stuff with the Tool Room. We were doing the Ibiza season as well. Nice. So everything was like going like in the right direction. I was like really happy with that, and I was like, well, I mean, we're playing for Tool Room as well. Uh, a few more gigs here and there. How did the tour room thing come about then? Was that a management thing? Was that was that Mark reaching out to you? How did your connection with tool room really come about? Um, how did that come about? So by that time, I was managed by uh, Jacko. I don't know if maybe you know Jacko, James Jackson from Listen yeah, Up. Yeah, from Listen Up, yeah. So I think... I think he was working at Defected. Yeah, he was, yeah. When I'd done the <laughs> remix. And then he reached out to me like, do you need like a proper uh, UK manager? Because I was still working with the other guys back then from Belgium. And I was like, yeah, sounds good. So he, he done, he's done that for, for uh, a few years. And it was all very nice, but he was getting so much work over at Listen Up. And we had to chat like, he was like, I, I don't have enough time sure. because you need someone who can put a, a bit more time into you. But a few months before that, I got an offer from, from Tool Room Management to manage me. And I was like, no, I'm with Jacko. And I like kind of refused that. And then two months later, Jacko was like, I can't like, I don't have a time enough to do so I was like mm, I, I'd better said yes to the tool room offer <clears throat> and that basically came about I've done uh, I've done a remix for BBT God's Child yeah and I think that's one that Mark got and Mark was really really digging that so off of that I got the Sharam J remix for tool room yeah and I 
think from that I just started sending music to Mark and he, I mean he was obviously really liking everything I've done and from that uh, they offered me the management deal and then I refused and then I got back to them being like so sorry they're still uh, interested in working with me and they were like yeah so I went we went over to to Maidstone to the office we had a chat it was with Jacko back then the first time we had a chat with them um, and from there they, they started managing me um, and obviously I started releasing a lot with them as well so that's uh, how that came about so is is Paul now technically is that is is the engine room thing is that tool room or then have you then moved again since that point no that's that's the management department from tool room. So, so tool that is so engine room is there is there is there the is management there. side of things yeah Cool. Let's talk about some of your, I mean, there's a lot of releases, so we're not going to go into all of them. I mean, there's obviously, there's the ones that are at the top of your releases, like Circles and Forget and Work This. Is there anything, is, you know, is it one of those you'd like you'd like to talk about? Is there a record that, for you, marked a real change in your career or your life? Is there a, a record, you know, is there a release that you think made a real difference? Or is it, or, or do you think it has been a very, very gradual like improving narrative all along? I think, um, if I'm honest, I still, have, I still have to like make the, the one, the one big record. Okay. But like one, one record for me, that's, although looking back at it now, it's still a bit cheesy, but the, the one that changes a bit for me was the crunk one. Yeah. That came out of, on Azuli. Yeah, and I was telling you about that point in my life where I was making EDM and really unhappy about music I was putting out, and that's like that's the one thing that I made. Like I was like, "Fuck all of this! I'm just going gonna go back to what I loved and I was making like when I when I started this, like making club club music, but a bit more housey. So I, I've done the beat. I don't know how I got this. I think I was listening to like Danny Howard or Pete Tong's show and there was like a nice grooving record. And in my head, I was having the Mary J. Blige vocal over there. And I was like, oh yeah, let, let's try something like that. So I made the beat. Uh, I done the vocal over on top of it. I, I love piano. So I done a piano riff for it. <clears throat> and I was like, okay. And that was something that I enjoyed making. I, I was like, okay, this is more like what I want to do. I don't want to let everyone make their hard-hitting EDM. Uh, I'm going to change it. I'm going to do this. And I sent it to a few people uh, and they were like, yeah, it's all right, but it's not, we're not feeling it. Uh, and I was like, oh, so I'm, I'm making music that I like right now and no, no one wants to have it. And I was like, you know, I still have the contact over Defected. And they, I think they done the SKT record with Ray uh, with Azuli. So they had like their moment, and I was like, you know what? Let, let me send it to them. So I sent it to Andy, who was still doing the NR back then. Yeah. And he came back to me in an hour, I think, like with the agreement. So yeah, we want to sign it. And I was like, one of the, I got off my desk, I did a little dance in the living room, and I was like, oh yeah. Um, and again, that one did really well. I think it, it went top 10 on Beatport. And for yeah. me, that was like, okay, 
I can do the music that I like and still be successful in between of all the EDM stuff and that that's what I'm gonna do now so that's for me was it was like it did really well and I'm still on Spotify I think it's probably doing more stream than the other stuff because obviously yeah, everybody likes yeah, I used to I used to hammer that I used to hammer that record all the time. I used to play it so much. Um, so so it, yeah, that's on, that's one one point. And the other thing is like for me in my life it was a turning point. Like me saying like, "Fuck everything. I'm just doing what what I like." And it changed a bit from that. Still, obviously, but it's more like going back, basically going back to my roots. And since it was affected, and like you say, like one of the first released on the fact as well was like gone full circle and from that point on I was like yeah I'm, I'm doing my thing now and uh, we'll see what happens and I, I think it turned out quite, quite all right nice if I if I wind back the clock to sort of January February this year prior to us all sort of fully understanding what this year was gonna was gonna be what was your calendar what was your diary looking like? What were you looking like for gig-wise? What were you looking like release-wise? You know, if, if we'd done this podcast in in January last year, or this year, sorry, and I said to you, man, what is your 2020 looking like? Um, what was in there? What was it looking like? And in some respects, how has it changed? Well, there was definitely quite some uh, stuff happening with the tool room um touring wise they were doing the, the the events as well they had like an event section they were building so there was definitely going to be a lot of that uh i just because i remember going to amsterdam to, to have a chat with an agent a new agent uh and my mom was like do you really want to do that with uh, everything going on and i was like seeing some people's with masks and I was like laughing about it and like <laughs> they're a bit uh, crazy in the head and I think next weekend they got the first uh, COVID case in Amsterdam so I just literally literally wow. before this so I signed with a new agent in, in uh, the Netherlands wow, and a new one in Belgium to like because the music was going great we had support from Carl Cox, we had an EP on Alan Bayer's True Soul Records, so everything was like going in the right direction, new agent, everything was set into place. And then, yeah, the the whole COVID thing hit off here in Europe as well, so that was like, yeah. How did it affect your releases then? Like, obviously, you've got, you were talking about the one with, with Mark. How has it affected your release schedule this year? Have you released everything that you had signed and scheduled to release, or has everything been bumped back that you had signed and, and, and released? Or how you know what, how has it changed this year? No, we we released the the, the one on Trusol, and then the Mark Knight one got got pushed back, of course. Apart from that, uh, it's what was in the schedule. We released it, of course. Um, but apart from that, it's, it's like the thing where you're like, okay, you want to release some music because you don't want to disappear off the earth, but you don't want to do one every month because there's no class. So what, 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 and music, what are you going to... Music can't, music can't, our music 
and I guess even other massive music, because you haven't seen any huge artists really dropping records this this summer. And music needs to be consumed in a club with people to create memories, to create emotion. Like that's the way that you create a big record is that in this day and age, especially there's never ending footage of people playing it at festivals and clubs. Do you know what I mean? Like here's Mm. Mark Knight, here's Carl Cox, here's Fisher, here's whoever, Marco Carolla, here's whoever, you know, you think back to those records like last summer and you think back to, um, you know, Carolla playing the Joys record, do you know what I mean? And, and then suddenly it becomes yeah. Yeah. a record. And, 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 and this is no disrespect to that record, but if you'd released that record in June this year, it would have disappeared. Hardly exactly. any, anyone would have heard it's, it's, it. It's from those videos from Carolla dropping it, and you're like, I need to have that. And that, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's exactly what Mark said. Like, we need clubs yeah. to build these records, and there's no point in putting them out. Um, so here's a question for you. Here's an interesting one that I've been musing on in this situation. Is it going to be even harder to get your record? I don't mean you here, the Royal We. Is it going to be even harder for me, for you, for other producers to get that record heard? Because surely everyone in the whole world is thinking the same way as me, you and Mark Knight. And surely when clubs, I mean, timing it is going to be unreal because we also know how long you need to, you know, put things in the Mm -hmm. machine before it comes out. But surely every single big artist is going to drop what they think is their best record (laughs) as soon as you know as soon as clubs are going to open again everyone from you and mark to salado to fisher you know to hannah wants to anyone alex preston who's been on the show everyone's going to go here's my best record (laughs) that i've written in lockdown and there you go (laughs) and so like is, is an interesting way of looking at it either we're going to be in for the best year, 18 months of music ever, because there's going to be a, a bottleneck of music, or our greatest fear as artists will, will, will transpire, which is that there's so much fucking music that it just gets lost again, and our greatest ever record that we ever wrote gets, gets washed away in a sea of releases. Um, so then do you hold on to it even longer? Do you hold on to it for two years? Do you wait for everyone to get their records out? I don't know what to yeah, do, man. Yeah, who knows what, what <laughs> we're looking to do. It's all, to be honest, I because I, I said to you earlier as well, in 2018, I think, I bought this house. So when, when everything started hitting, I was like, okay, you know what? I'm just going to leave it as it is and going to work in the house. So basically this year what I've done is like build a house. And I've done like nothing musical related for like six months almost i think wow i mean i was still like listening to music and i was uh, still at my computer making some beats but my main focus was like building the house and to be honest when i came home at night i was so tired i was just wanted to sit in the sofa and like fall asleep and then get back to it next day and in a way i think that that's good as well because i didn't i think if i if i was confronted with the situation every day then i would probably felt bad about it whilst now i was like my focus went from music to building the house and now i'm like getting back into it and like my studio's done now so i'm starting i'm only starting to think about it right now and exactly like you say like i have a bunch of records sitting there and like what are we going to do with it how we're going to go about it and as you say because you you don't know when we're going to get back to because i heard you guys in the uk you're rolling out the vaccines like this week or next week yeah 
but here in Belgium, they're like, don't put your hopes up for next summer because it might be another one like that. And like, even like, I, I can't imagine at this point, like Tomorrowland, flying in people from all over the world to have a big festival. Yeah. If we're honest about it, it's, it's not going to happen. But what, what, what's going to happen? What, what can we do? I, I don't know. And like the few gigs I've done this year, all the respect, like the people putting it together. But it's, I mean, it's not, it, it made, made me more sad than it made me happy because like, yeah. or I, it was like people sitting down at a table. Yeah. Or no, it was no. people in boxes as yeah. if it were animals. And I was like, this is not, this is, you have to play the music so quiet, yeah. which doesn't make any sense because the virus isn't like, getting active with loud music and b you could there's not nothing social anymore so i had to play two sets and in between i was like running around a bit talking to people and then the security came like there's more than five people in this box who doesn't belong here get out and i was like it was making me sad man because that's yeah. what you do when you go you play a gig you meet new people you play you, you talk with some people and so you couldn't play your music loud you couldn't like talk to people anymore so i was like why bother just no, I've, I've, hated it. I've, I've, I've hated it man like i've i've turned i've done about i don't know four or five of those gigs over the summer you know when things were like a lot uh, we felt like everything was getting better over the summer and, and i did some of those sort of sit downy gigs and the music was so quiet you know and i just i just I, like you said I, I was so happy to do it because even the emotion like the sort of the, the emotional memory of getting my dj bag and getting like clothes yeah, on that yeah, i wear yeah. for djing and going to a gig and like searching for new music and like all the excitement came back for like the process of it all the traveling that you know all of that stuff and then as soon as i started playing and they were like turn it down turn it down turn it down and i was like what and, and then they were like and then i played some music and some people kind of got up from their seat and had and just danced in their spot and people come over like no 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 you can't play music that people like and want to dance to and i was like that's the entire fucking point of my yeah. existence <laughs> like you why do you want me here like you know like in the end i kind of half ended up sort of walking out of one gig because i was like why have you fucking brought me here then if you don't want me to entertain people like that's the fucking point um yeah. so i've just like yeah i i've just sort of taken taking an emotional kind of hit on it and gone i'm not doing that like i've been offered you know those sit down gigs for like new year and i've been like no i'm not doing i'm not doing it until we get to a point where there's a dance floor again like and i know you know people can make different choices i'm certainly not being disrespectful for anyone who is enjoying those gigs or is doing them or whatever that's totally cool for everyone to have their own mindset but for me, it felt so far removed in those gigs from what I know and love doing and spent, you know, 15 years doing, 20 years doing. I was like, I can't. It made, you just hit the nail on the head. It made me more sad than not doing it at all. Like, it, mm -hmm. it, it was too much. Right, man, I'm going to start... Um, I'm going to start wrapping it up a bit. I've got a few little things I like to do to wrap it up. But first of all... If people want to find out... Oh, no, actually, Stephen Lee will have my head off if I don't ask you about Fader Pro. So shout out your Fader Pro course. Tell people where they can find it. Tell people what to expect if they go and check it out. Um, yeah, just rep that, man, because I'm super interested too. So the Fader Pro course, it's one that got recorded in the two-room studios, and basically it's me, uh, what I do every day in the studio, like making... or trying to make a record from from scratch um 
And the thing what I've heard from a lot of people is that my process is fairly simple. I don't tend to make everything more complicated than it needs to be. So even like beginners, they can take away loads of stuff uh, from it. I work a lot with samples. I don't mind saying that I, I like to, I love to work with samples, but I try to use them in a, a bit more of a creative way rather than just whacking five samples on top of each other. So basically it's, it's a lot about that. And the response to it has been really great. So yeah, everyone's free to go and check it out. And uh, I hope you learn something from it. Cool. And if people want to find out more about you, if they want to follow you, if they want to listen to your music, if they want to check out you online, hit us with some links or some things to Google or whatever it is that you want to you want to rep about yourself, man. They can go to my Instagram, which is at siege.dj, which is, I mean, Instagram is a place to be right now, right? And there's links to my Spotify and everything. Uh, so Spotify, Instagram, the rest, I don't think people go on there anymore. So go to my Spotify, check it out. Go beyond the crunk one that's on top. <laughs> Dig a bit deeper. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, how many million how many can you do you know how many million that's at at the moment on on spotify are you, are you still keeping track of that it's i mean it's divided in two ones they got the release and then they got one from a, a radio the fact radio show i think it's somewhere above two million it's not even that big a number it's but it's pretty still, big it's pretty big yeah but we just seen everyone's stats on instagram if you see like camel fat stats and you're like Wow, they're so that like they're, they're so they're so. In a way, I I I posted so like I posted on my Facebook. I found like I went through. I went onto the Spotify and I went through the little slideshow that it gives you and tells you all the stuff. And the thing that I was like most blown away by was that there was six people on Spotify who would listen to me the most as an artist. And I was like, who are these six people? Like, what? I was like, I put a post up and I was like, thanks, mum. I don't know who the other five people are. I've got no idea, but thank you. But yeah, I mean, the Spotify numbers, I think, uh, they're, they're not... A, I don't know, man. I know that the whole industry... In, in I don't want to go down a... We've had a lovely chat. I don't want to go down a, a rabbit warren of me whinging and complaining here. Like, we live in an industry which is all statistics. Like, we live in an industry which is beat part number one, followers on Instagram, likes, comments, shares. Like, I know that. But I, I also think the Spotify numbers, in a way, can be very misleading. Like, the, like some of my, you know, and I was scrolling through Facebook or Instagram and seeing people posting stuff, and some of them made me really question like ev- things because there were some artists that I really, really admire and really look up to who had, relatively speaking, small numbers, right? And I was like, wow, that's kind of crazy, and that's that's that, you know, why I wonder why that is. Then there was other artists who I was like, who the f- fuck are you and how have you got 20 million fucking plays and then i go and look at their spotify and it's like it's some like cover of a christina aguilera record on selected or something or like whatever that's got and now that's no disrespect to anybody who's done that and i wish i had that but at the same time we also know and a lot of people listening also know that if you've done a cover of something and it's got a huge amount of plays you're not getting any you're not getting very much money from that because no. you've t- because you've lost all the the, the publishing away to you know you've lost all the, the royalties away to, to the cover and so it, it just I'm going to stop now because I'm having a bit of a, a moan but it just it just felt like a, it didn't feel like a fair playing field of the way that you can 
judge it felt wrong to judge people by spotify plays i think is what i'm trying to say in a very that's, drawn that's out manner like exactly what i was thinking like so i was going on instagram like we all do and all i was <laughs> seeing like was spotify stats and if you want it or not you're comparing your stats to theirs yeah and i mean what well, i got like a million plays which to be honest that's quite amazing over a year you got a million people stream your music wow amazing and then you go on, you see camel fat, like four on how many God not. And then you're like, I only got a million. And, and then, then that at that point, you're like, what are we even doing? Like we're all comparing to each other. And it's, and that's all that, that the social media, I mean, like you say, you can moan about it. It's part of our life. So we have to live with it and I'm trying to live with it, but I, genuinely don't like the way it's going because we're all comparing to each other but it's just like one little image that you choose to put yeah. online that you're comparing to and i think for us you, you know what's happening but like especially like children growing up they've yeah. grown up with this and they think like this is real life and i think that that's something that's gonna go in your head and i think it's I don't want to say dangerous, but I think it's I think it's my, Yeah, I think it's, I think it's dangerous. Like, I had to, like... One of the things... I mean, I've mentioned on the podcast before, one of the things I found I found refreshing this year is that, like, I get terrible gig envy. Do you know what I mean? Like, so you go on Instagram and you look at, like, whoever, Patrick Toppin or the Martinez Brothers or whatever, and they're just doing these ludicrous fucking parties. Like, they just look so good. They sound good. Everyone there is fucking beautiful. Like, we know that they're getting well paid for it. And there was a point, like, a year or two ago, I had to start unfollowing people because I was, like, sat in my car on a rainy day in Newcastle. And, like, I was just feeling shit because I wasn't playing in a fucking Burning Man or something. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? I've got no right to play at Burning Man. But I was just like, I was like, I need to stop this because, and I was doing good gigs. Do you know what I mean? Like it would be like, even like, I think it was, I posted the other day. It was like this weekend last year, just gone. I was doing a gig with like Salado and Chris Lake or whatever. I'd done, I'd done Ministry of Sound the night before in London. And I was like, but even then, but then on the Monday morning when I wake up and, you know, we all have that sort of weekend hangover and we're, we're alone, we're in the studio trying to do something and everyone's gone and the party's finished. And then suddenly you're scrolling through Instagram and it's like so-and-so's getting on a private jet to go to fucking Italy or whatever. And you just like, and then and I feel shit again. And I've only just had a great weekend of gigs and suddenly I fucking feel shit. Uh, like, I think it is dangerous, man. I think it is like brutal for our like self-confidence. It's brutal for our self-worth. It's brutal to be, like you said, constantly comparing ourselves to another statistic or another bit of data. Like, yeah, man. And like, even even if you don't, even if you don't want to do it, and like oh. the, the 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 Spotify stuff made just made it like really obvious, obvious, yeah. because you're looking at numbers. But then I was like, in my mind, I was like, basically, that's what we do every day. It's not with numbers, but it's with pictures, and you're just yeah. And I was like, oh, this is it's it's a bit scary, but yeah. Right. Anyway, let's stop this. <laughs> I'm going to hit you with some quick fire questions. Then we're going to roll it out to the end of the podcast with a couple of little things I like to do. So, um, first nightclub you remember going to, like proper nightclub. Like, was it that little one that you played? Like, what was the first nightclub that you remember? You might not have been old enough to be in there, but what was the first one that you walked in and was like, holy fuck, this is a nightclub? 
I think it was that. It was, it's called Barabar. And uh, yeah, like I said, it was like the living room, but a, a club, but it looked like a living room. And it was like, and that's something I always go back to. And I'm like, I kind of miss those, those kind of things. Yeah. It, it all has to be like really big and really nice and really everything. But we, you just need a room. You need to have like people with the right mindset. You need a great fucking sound system. That's all it, it needs to be in the end. Definitely, man. Um, I want to ask you. Um, this is all. This is all sort of finished. You know, all COVID's done. We could, might even be twenty twenty two. Who fucking knows? But it's done. It's finished. We can all party safely again. And you get an email from Paul or whatever your booking agent, and there's a lineup, right? You're going to go and play some amazing club, maybe in Ibiza, whatever, and you're going to warm up for someone, right? Um, and you just see that name and think. Oh, I mean, maybe not even one, but, you know, go before, like, and you just think, wow, that is fucking perfect because I'm going to get to go to this amazing club. I'm going to play the club. I'm going to get to play exactly what I want to play. I'm not going to have to tailor it because this, I'm on, before this person. So I'm going to play an amazing set. And then when I'm finished and unplug my headphones and this DJ goes on, I'm going to be like, wow, I'm either just going to stand in the booth and watch them because I love what they do and love what they play, or I'm going to be on the dance floor losing my fucking shit because I love what they fucking do. Who is that DJ when you get that email, that booking, and you just go, oh, this is perfect? It's probably not going to happen anytime soon, but I think like Adam Bear might be a cool one just because yeah. I like to start my sets off a bit easier and I like to toughen it up in the end and i think that would be would be perfect for like a real techno dj to take over because i can like play my harder stuff towards the end and i think it works perfectly for for someone like that to to take over cool um track that has most influenced you throughout your musical dj career is there a record that you just stands out to you that you wish you'd made is there a record that stands out to you that you can never get sick of playing and listening to is there a track that's influenced you in the studio or your dj sets what's that one record that really mm. has influenced you over over your career this is the kind of question that you always get and i there was a record <laughs> Uh, I don't know what it was anymore. And I was like, you need to remember this one because that's one that you really have to say. If they ask you what you, you wanted to, you have made. That is some, something you have to say. But I, I mean, I don't I don't know. There's so many great, great records. Like I said, uh, the Dennis Ferrer stuff, that's something. The I've been listening to Hey Hey so much in the studio recently. Like... The, the fucking sounds that he uses, like the little transition sounds and like the fucking depth of the mix. And like, because I've done a couple of records that I hoped sounded somewhere like a fucking Dennis Ferrer record. And then you like AB it and you like, fucking doesn't sound like a Dennis Ferrer record. What the fuck? <laughs> like, so, like yeah. one, one that I really, the um, Sap, one of us, Dennis Ferrer remix, I think. And yeah. It goes back to like when you said earlier, making memories on the dance floor. And we're not gonna go back too much into detail about memories, but that's like one. Uh, cool. If you play it at the right moment, uh, I you I heard it, the right vibe, right moment, and it's just one of those like that gives you goosebumps. And for me, it's a combination. It has a really nice groove, but then in the breakdown, it 
goes back to the the really nice vocals from Forest, I think, and has like a nice melody line. And it was being played on a on a night where there was a lot of tech house, like with the same vibe. And then all of a sudden you hear the melody, the vocal. I love melodies, I love vocals, and then it goes back into like the nice groove. And that that's like that's one record like for me. I wanna I wanna have one of those someday. Driving, but then in the breakdown, nice little vocal, nice melody, and then come out back uh, with a driving feel. That's something like it's not not an obvious one, but that's something that I have so much respect for for records like that. They're just so well made, and uh, yeah. Nice man. Right, this is the last, well, second last thing we're going to do, but I'm going to ask you to curate like a dream gig. So this this gig can be um, anywhere you like. It can be like you can name a place, like it can be in uh, a club that you know and you've played before, like whether that be High or Space or Eden or whatever, or it can just be a generic thing like a main stage at a festival or an underground basement club or whatever. So we need a venue that this place is going to take place. And then I want I want three acts. It's not so much a warm up and a middle and a headline. It's more like a co-headline three acts that are going to play. You can play. You can go back to back with someone. You can put anyone you like on there. Dead or Alive, back to back. You can put bands on there. You can put dance acts on there. You can put DJs. You can only go DJs. This is just like a dream gig that you're going to curate. Fuck COVID. That's not a thing. Like this is just in the moment right now. If we could have a party this weekend and you're going to curate it. Where's it gonna happen, Siege? Where are we gonna have this party? I'm gonna go very cliche on this one, but I have to say Ibiza. Yeah. I've I've done it last year, and it, it's just amazing. That's one of the things. Like I remember being a kid. Like I wanna, I wanna play in Ibiza at some point. I think we're all like that. And then being able to do it this season with the tool room last year was amazing. I really missed going there this year. So. I'm going to go with Ibiza. Sorry, it's so cliche. Are we doing it in Eden? Are we doing it in Eden? Are we going to have it in Eden? No, I, I, you said I didn't have to mention... Uh, okay, cool. Okay, uh, so just... just. To, but are we talking a big room? Are we talking like a kind of a thousand, a big room kind of vibe? Are we talking a small room? Where would you like it to be? You know what? I, I Like, the first time I went to Ibiza was like a bit earlier, and back then you could still do the the beach parties. And again, I might be over romanticizing no, stuff right this here. Is, that's, but this is what it's all about. That's one one memory. That I think it was Ushuaia back then. It was like just a little cabin on the beach. And I think Sneak was playing. Nice. And it was like on the beach, maybe only 100 people. And bumping. something like that. It's like, like what I said, it doesn't need to be, to be the big crowds. Just like-minded people, a good sound system and nice vibe. So maybe something more like that. Cool. Who's playing? I was going to say Dennis Ferrer, Mark Knight, back-to-back myself, Carl nice. Cox, back-to-back Adam Bayer. But in the intimate vibe, maybe we could twi- switch, switch it around. Although I'm sure Carl Cox and Adam could do a yeah. softer set as well. So I'm I'm going to roll with that. Yeah. Nice, man. Well, I'm, I, I love that. I'm definitely I'm on board. Let's do it. I'll see you on the beach. Um <laughs> We've had a great chat. I would like you to pick for the audio version. I'm gonna we're gonna play out this record on the um, YouTube version. I'll link to it. I'd like you to select a record. We've had a lovely chat for an, an hour and a half. Like people have been listening to it. 
I would like you to select a record that is going to play out this 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 podcast. Um, it can be something brand new from you. It can be something old from you. It can be nothing to do with you. It can be doesn't even have to be dance music. It can be whatever you want, just to impart um, a, a memory in someone or a memory in yourself. Whatever you would like. It's just a bit of music to play out this podcast. Please introduce it, sir, and then that's us done. Let, let's go with the one of us Dennis Ferrer remix because just I think it's one that people need to hear. It's I don't, I don't think it, it's got enough attention. So and it's just something that I really love, and I'm not I'm not going with something from myself this time. People can check that out later, but play the Dennis Ferrer remix. So this is Sab, one of us in the Dennis Ferrer remix. That is a beautiful choice, sir. Thank you very much for your time. It's been a pleasure. I hope to catch you soon when all this COVID has fucked off. Yeah, man. I hope the same. Thank <laughs> you for having me. Felix Leiter's In The House. The podcast about DJs, what they do and who they are.
Thank you.